because this uh, might be the, the inner chronicle of what we are and we have to articulate ourselves, otherwise we would be cows in the field. Welcome to Cows in the Field. This is a show in which we discuss philosophical themes in popular films. My name is Justin. I'm Laura. And today we're talking the third movie in the Fast and the Furious franchise, Tokyo Drift. Joining us are two returning guests, both philosophers of art, who have a history with this movie, something we're going to get into. First, from our episode on Tampa Po, we have Nick Riggle. Hello, I'm Nick Riggle. Hi, Nick. And from our episode on Twilight and the Box, we have Matt Stroll. Yo, yo, yo. <laughs> Welcome back to the show, guys. Uh, it's good to have you. Super good to be back. Very happy to be here. Excellent. Especially uh, on this film, yeah. Oh, this we're very excited to get into it. So first thing, we're going to do a quick round robin, opening remarks on the movie. Um, I'll just kick us off so you get a flavor of what this would be. So we rewatched this movie. This isn't a movie that like I have like a personal affection or kinship to, but watching it the second time, it did raise, it could rise in my estimation. And one thing that I really liked about it was I kind of felt like it's a little bit like Sean, the main character, goes to Wonderland in a world where rules don't apply and like mm -hmm. cars can move and violate the laws of physics. Anyway, I thought that was kind of fun. That was something I picked up on this time that I enjoyed. Laura, what do you think? Opening remarks. I did not know you were going to kick it I'm to me. I'm going to Laura first. Sorry. That's fine. I don't know. There's a lot of lore in the other ones. I like the Fast and Furious movies, but this movie is just like footloose and fancy free. It's delightful. I like, I mean, I remember. I, I feel like I, I remember seeing it for the first time in a background at a party in 2006 when it just had come out. That seems like a good... And people were like, yeah, is good. that the guy from Home Improvement? And uh, and like, it's just like a good party hang movie. Have it on in the background. Good movie or to have give on it your full attention because sure. it rolls. Uh, Stroll, what do, you, what do you got for opening remarks? <laughs> you know, I think, uh, yeah, before I had even seen this movie, I had, before I had seen any Fast and the Furious movies, I started with number five, I was like driving a shitty Oldsmobile home from school or work late at night when I was like maybe 19 or 20 or whatever. However, no, I was older than that, but I was driving, driving this shitty Oldsmobile and I slid out and started just sliding sideways right down the highway. Oh God. And then all of a sudden I regained control of the car and like started driving again, no accident. And I, and I was all by myself and I yelled Tokyo drift. <laughs> right. I feel like, I feel like I will never not think of any form of drifting as Tokyo drifting, yes. no matter where it happens. That seems exactly right. Um, yeah, I think, and even our son who, who likes drifting. Yes. I don't know if, does he do Tokyo drift? He calls it Tokyo drifting he does. because of the movie Cars. Because of, because of Tokyo uh, Mater. Yeah, There's Tokyo a Tokyo Mater. Drift Mater short, but also got out the same library book uh, about 100 times on drifting. And there's one page that says, drifting is all about controlling the car. <laughs> is that and how he says it? Yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Nick, Nick, what are your opening remarks on Tokyo Drift? Yeah, I mean, I guess the the the, the nutshell is that I think this is the film that I've changed my mind the most radically about. I used to think it was just the worst film um, as a Fast and Furious fan. And um, 
stroll helped me change my mind and also just kind of like as the series has has developed they've done a lot of interesting things to integrate this film into mm-hmm. the franchise story and i'm just as as a philosopher of art super fascinated by by that the aesthetics of that but also just now i'm i don't know if it's like an exposure effect or whatever but i just love the film I, i've seen it so many times now and even you know i watched it again for this and found new things to love um, this is so, so yeah. great let's uh all right so i'm gonna kick it now to you guys because as you said stroll helped you change your mind on this movie so can you guys explain what happened? How did this go? Yeah, well, so I i mean, I definitely have like a pretty close relationship with this movie because I mean, I for me, The Fast and the Furious is the ultimate comfort food. It, it all it, it still is. It has been for a long time, even though I didn't get into it until the fifth one came out. Um, so, for instance, like when my dad died a couple of years ago. When I, I mean, I was absolutely a wreck. And like the when I sat down to watch a movie, I, it was probably the next morning. I sat down and just like watch a movie, do anything to kind of get my mind off it. And this is just like what I instinctively reached for. I put on Tokyo Drift, right? So it's like, I mean that. I mean the proof's in the pudding, right? Like, like I like that's that's what I reached for when I was feeling the absolute worst. And uh, Nick, uh, one day, right in the meantime, Nick and I were just talking about the Fast and the Furious movie. I think at a conference that we were both at. Yep. Camp Aesthetics. Yep. Okay. That was a, it was a wonderful conference way out in the Utah desert. Um, Super fun. And uh, we were talking about the Fast and Furious movies and Riggle was like, basically like, wait, how could you possibly like that one? I mean, what's there, what's there to like about it? Right. You were like, <laughs> what name one thing about that movie that's in any way likable. Is that, am, I, am I getting that right, Nick? Yeah, that's, that was basically my attitude. I just, I couldn't yeah. comprehend why anyone who was into the Fast and Furious would would like that one. Yeah, I just didn't get it. Right. And like, I think, I don't remember exactly what I would have said at the time, but like one thing I would definitely probably would have said is that um, it it it's its existence in the series is part of what makes the series as a whole so sort of jagged and quirky and interesting, right? So in other words, what's cool about the series is in part that it has so many different like faces and like different styles and um, it goes in so many different directions, so different moods. And this movie was just the total oddball. It's essentially like a really doofusy karate kid with cars, um, karate kid two with cars, right? Um, and uh, I, just, I just felt like this being a part of the whole was part of what like made the whole so magical to me, right? That this movie was part of it. Mm. And Riggle was like, well, you were like, um, but that Lucas Black guy, isn't he just the worst, right? You're like, you're like how could that guy possibly have been cast in the movie? That, and I was like, yeah, that's exactly why it's so good that he was cast in the movie because you'd never expect it. Mm. Right. Yeah, I mean, I guess I guess I was sort of like, you know, we're introduced to this to this series, you know, with Fast Fast One and Fast Two, and you're kind of like, you know, you got you got the Paul Walker stuff and the Vin Diesel, and you're like, okay, we're into like street racing, like, you know, I I like to drive fast cars, um, uh, and they're just they're just fun action movies, and they're they're you know they're ridiculous, and and then you get the third installment, and it's like none of them are in there except the very end. And uh, you got this goofy Lucas Black guy, um, uh, Sean Boswell character. And he, you know, it's just like so kind of uh, the plot is so basic. It's just kind of he's uh, kicked out of his sort of normal, uh, you know, routines. He's sent to Tokyo. He's an outsider. Uh, they tell you a thousand times that he's an outsider. The theme is that he's an outsider <laughs> and 
Um, and then he tries to sort of like, you know, win the woman by racing the alpha male um, and winning. And you're just, and you know, he's helped along by various generous characters. Um, and that was kind of my take. It was like, what is this kind of harebrained formulaic plot about masculinity or something? You <laughs> know, just kind of like super simple and um and uh and yeah, and so and then so Matt Matt got me to think a little bit more about kind of what was that film doing in in this franchise? I mean, it, it is really a focused film. I mean, compared to like it's mm -hmm. not a heist movie, it's it's taking the original you know, the original theme of Fast and Furious, uh, which is like about, you know, illegal street racing um, and uh, and just kind of like focusing on that in the in the sort of drift style mm -hmm. of, of racing. On that point, though, the, the, that it's uh, sorry. Oh, yeah. The, that it's like it's more like the first Fast and the Furious movie in the sense that it's like a movie about a local racing scene um, that sort of starts from scratch in a general way. Um, and part of what I, I really enjoy about it is are all the analogies in the scene. So like whenever in any of the Fast and the Furious movies, whenever there's like a drag racing, like there's like an event or there's a race or people getting together, um, you always get like some kind of uh, like a geographically appropriate music. Um, and then you get this like little uh, montage of like, usually there's some zooms in shots on girls' butts wearing like short yeah. shorts. And then like um, a, some, a guy working on a car, like, you know, mechanic um, and like, you know, somebody like serving drinks and it sort of zooms around and you go through it. And I really love the way that this does, this follows that exact same pattern, right? It shows you like the girl and the guy working on the car, but it's all like extremely geographically appropriate. It's all like, you know, you're using totally different cars. The music's, the music's amazing, unbelievable. Right? I'm just playing teriyaki boys in my head right now, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Um, but every time there's a scene like that, I my wife, like Angela, likes these movies too. And every time there's a scene like that, she yells out, car party! <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's something inherently fun about the movie. I mean, even if you don't know anything about the uh, series, um, there's some really great car scenes, great car chase, like the central car chase scene is really exciting. I mean, the drifting is super interesting. There are these beautiful drifting shots where there's just like six cars drifting in harmony, mm -hmm. yeah. like around a bend down a mountain. And you're like, that's, that's really cool cinema. Um, yeah, so like, I think the thing that, the thing that changed for me, I mean, I think, one of the things that Matt helped me do is just kind of like open my mind, like, whoa, there's a person who likes this movie. <laughs> like that alone was just like, what? And it's not just a person, like my friend Matt, um, who's who's whose take on whose takes on films are always super interesting. But was really, I think the main the thing that really shifted was uh thinking more about, I mean, so what happens over the development of the franchise is that they they work really hard to integrate Tokyo Drift into the narrative of the entire series. So we 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 realize after Fast Six that um, that Fast Three comes then, right? So um, if I'm getting the chronology right, yeah. So one of the things yeah. I actually really like about the being a fan of the Fast and Furious movies is that you know, like I said, there's like you know 22 plus hours of film and 
it's just like hard to follow even as someone who's watched them all and, and sometimes multiple it's like they're, they're super long movies they're complicated plots and like i can it's easy to forget like what happens in what film and who's the villain in that one and exactly who kills whom and, or who's supposed to have died and maybe came back and there's kind of a soap operatic character to to the uh, plots and um but anyway what we learn is that um uh a bunch of stuff happens in fast six and then um uh there's 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 a heist and stuff and and then people die and basically han who is this kind of mentor figure in fast three uh, uh over fast four five six he, he actually becomes like a central figure in the franchise and um <clears throat> Someone he's really attached to, Gal Gadot's character, um, Giselle, uh, apparently dies in this epic plane scene. And Han um, moves to Tokyo. And you realize, oh, that's when Tokyo Drift takes place. Um, Because Han is escaping the Fast and Furious family to go kind of just grieve, basically. And... um, and then we, and then if you if you put it in that context, you actually realize that they've they through the sort of narrative changes over those over those films four five six, Han, you start to see Han in a different light, in yeah. Han's character in three in a different light, and I now see him as the main character, not uh, Boswell. Mm. You you think that Boswell's the main character, but you realize that it's Han we're supposed to focus on now, as the kind of mentor who's taking this this guy gene in this outsider into under his wing Mm -hmm. and teaching him the ways the sort of the the ways of the fast you know the fast themes of of you know it's all about chosen family uh it's all about family and and, you know in general um it's all about love loving the race in and of itself like there's this great scene where um sean asks him like well well why do you you know, why do you race if it's not to win? And Han's like, let me show you. And then there's like all these great drifting scenes um, where they're where they're just doing it for, you know, as as our friend T would say, for the for the striving, as it were. Um and also for phone numbers, yeah. though. They got yeah. <laughs> it's true. He does he does spin around a girl uh for three. Yeah, he doesn't quite get the message, I guess, because he he ultimately races to get the girl. Yeah. <laughs> Life's simple. You make choices and you don't look back. So if you don't drift to win, what do you drift for? You really want to know? Yeah. Okay, let's go. It's really actually incredible, given that given that the the like the sixth movie had not been written when when um, Tokyo Drift was made. It's really incredible how well it sets up the like the other movies to go back and inflect it with a prequel story, right? Um, and, and in particular, like for example, right? So Han's got this melancholy from the beginning of the he movie. Does, He's got this yeah. like deep melancholy that like is very nicely explained by where we leave off in the sixth one and you get the sense that that a lot of those decisions about what to do in the fifth and sixth ones with han were informed by 
his character from Tokyo Drift. So, that, but there's a wonderful canvas to work from, right? And like he says all these things that make so much sense, right? He's like, "This is my Mexico," right? Like when the mm -hmm, bandit yeah. um, flees flees at the end of the western and like heads off to Mexico or whatever. Um, this is my Mexico, right? Which yeah. is makes perfect sense once you've seen the sixth one, which didn't come out till years later. Also, Matt, um, I, yeah. I had a crazy realization yeah. this time I watched it, and it was related to this. I was I was hoping to bring it up. Um, that's a reference to the 1954 film. So have you? Oh, have right. you no, so I haven't seen that 54 one. No. So there's a 1954 film called The Fast yeah. and the Furious, and they maybe and they I have, have actually, but I don't remember it well. Title from from that film, and basically the the plot there is um, there's a there's an escaped convict who's wrongly convicted of murder. He breaks out, and then he uh, there's this woman <laughs> who has this really cool Jaguar. It's like an early 50s Jaguar. And she's like a racer, and, and there's this um, there's this race. Uh, I think it's called like the international. And they they race, you know, into Mexico, and she's like prepping for the race, and uh, she stops at this diner, and this guy this guy's escaped, and he's he kind of kidnaps her, and then like they they go down to do the race because he wants to get to Mexico, and um, anyway, you know, antics ensue, and there's car chases and races and and crashes and stuff like that, but. But uh, it's. I think that's a kind of it's a subtle reference to that early film, mm -hmm. which I hadn't. I never sort of made that connection before. Yeah, that's that's nice. No, I didn't know about that. Um, and he says so. Another line that I wrote down when I just watched it. Um, he says so. Um, the Lucas Black character is like apologizing for wrecking his car in the initial race, and uh, Han says, um, "I have." He says, "I'll get you the money, Han." And Han says, "I have money. It's yeah. just in character I need around me." Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, I wrote says, the same thing down to this. Yeah, time. yeah. And he says, uh, one car is a good trade to find out what a man is made of. Right. So you get this, you it, like once you find out where he's just been, what he's just been doing, and like what's just happened, you you get this strong sense that what he's saying to him is, I need to know if like you're somebody that Dom would welcome in, right? I need to know exactly. if like if I can like if you're like my friends from back home, you know. Yeah. 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 And and I now so like that's a good I, I wrote down that whole scene because I was like, you know. Now I just see that as the central scene of the of the film. And when I didn't, you know, before when I didn't like the film, was seeing it from this totally different perspective with with Sean as the main character and stuff. I just, you know, you see that, watch that scene, and it's kind of like a, it's not a throwaway. It's a nice intimate scene. You're they're kind of finally making that connection, and you realize, oh, Han's going to be his mentor. But uh, no, it's a completely transformed scene from the later, from the later. Uh, from the later uh, entries in the in the franchise, definitely they change the meaning of the scene and they make it the most important scene in a way that it originally wasn't. When the, yeah. that, that is right, that's super interesting <laughs> from the point of view of philosophy of art. That's a like, whoa, you can do yeah. that, right? Yeah, I don't, I don't know of other, you know, of other of other works that are so transformed by later works. I mean, it's a really remark, it's a remarkable, I think, artistic achievement to do that so well. I mean, I think there's still right. questions I have about, and we could talk about that later, but, um, but it reminds me of, you know, there, there are these, uh, you know, people talk about how beauty can transform us and art can transform us. And like, it's, it's so interesting to see a case where, you know, like art transforms art. It's like giving style to your character, you know, with, with art. Um, I'm curious, do you guys, so so as somebody who uh, has stopped watching the Fast and the Furious movies at five, we, we, may, we may continue on in the franchise, I'm not sure. We own the 4K set, so we should, but we burned out on five. Um, I, I mean, one, there's another 
way I think to appreciate the this film within if you only watched the first five and thus don't really know how they connect up at six, which is so I, I kind of enjoyed this movie as the Halloween three of the franchise. So totally Halloween three is like for people who might maybe haven't seen it. It's like it's a movie which diverges quite radically from the Halloween series and teases a possible future continuation of the franchise in which, you know, they don't actually, there's no emphasis on continuity. It's just like other people getting killed in other interesting ways around oh, Halloween. Just bad things happening on Halloween. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> and a rad song. I was kind of, I was sort of like taken by that idea in this film. And maybe that was what they, I don't even know what the filmmakers had in mind, but maybe that is what they had in mind was like, okay, there's this whole like, Dom Toretto thing going on in the first two movies and let's see how much we can set up like a separate thing and just maybe yeah. then the fourth and fifth movies would just be like now we're doing this in Mexico and right. now we're doing it all in- we need is cars yeah. we don't need anything else right um, but then they added in yeah. Dom at the end because test screenings went so badly that they did they like shoved, shoved Dom in at the very end yeah <laughs> so I mean yeah. right these movies didn't get this series was not successful until later, yeah. right? So, like, for instance, like, Ja Rule uh, refused to be in any more of these movies. And so that's why Ludacris was brought in to replace him. Of course, Ja Rule would have made one more off of one later Fast and Furious sequel than he made off his whole career. Yeah. Like, you know, the joke's on Ja Rule. But, but like, um, but yeah, like, at this time, they weren't, I mean, they weren't sure they'd ever get back to the main storyline because the series was just not that successful. And in fact, like, once the series got going again, like Han was one of the most popular characters. So th- this did th- this wasn't super popular right away, but this did introduce Han, who became crucial to the success of the later. Yeah. And I do He's get so that. Magnetic. To your yeah. point, I think, Nick, you said this, uh, you know, Han is the most magnetic and interesting character yeah. in this film. Like he, he from the first frame, he's yep. just. Super, like, he has a guy. confidence to him and he has a weariness yeah. and you want to know more about him. Whereas the Lucas Black character, it's like take it or leave it. I I, I don't know. I mean, he's just a goofball. Yeah. And like, yeah, that was always my take and it still is. But like, you have to watch actually F9 to like really love how goofy he is. Oh, and okay. actually, the okay. series ends up, can I ask the you? ends up fully owning his goofiness. And okay. They, satirize it and it's hilarious great well, we one, one more this. fact we have to include here that we're, yes. we i don't want to lose track of we're summarizing like the han intertextuality here yeah. which is i don't know if you know this but there's an, another amazing fact here which is that han is playing the same character he played in better luck tomorrow i had oh read really that. Yeah. Oh. yes right huh. so better luck tomorrow which is an independent film about like some like uh some asian high school students who who like start a little crime they're like good grade they get good grades but they start like a crime ring um and it's with sort of tragic results um so han plays like uh you know a, a young hoodlum in that movie um and it, it's like that's a, another thing that i just went back and watched that again and that's something that really inflects uh tokyo drift um, because he, you can really see him playing the character in the same way, like the same mannerisms, the same posture, mm-hmm. right? So you get like even more Han backstory and it's even more emotional weight is added once you incorporate that yeah. one into the mix. That is interesting. Oh my yeah. To just kind of like, we just to kind of like tie off the initial discussion about my, my journey. Yeah. Yes. Um, I think the journey has a new phase because I, I, you know, I actually weirdly, I, 
I, I told Justin this in an email, but this film is just, it's weird to me how much I want to think about it. Like I just, it's just bizarre. I just don't even understand myself. Um, but uh, it is. And I, and, and, and I, I think there's even a newer, there's like a new phase. So it's like a, it's like a return. So I, I think now my take on this film, so it's actually, Matt, I think I disagree with you again. Okay. Um, so, so I don't, maybe you, maybe your view on this has changed too, but you know, initially you were, I was like, I don't like it. And you're like, I like it because it's such an outlier. And now I actually think we should watch the film as a return to roots. So, you know, as a, cause so, so basically here, here's how I see the franchise, right? You have the first, I'd say four are, um, are the original drag racing, street racing, urban sports movies. They're about that. And then in five, we get the heist theme, right? That's when heists become like the thing for the series. And I think that's partly why five is my my number one in my in my F and F number. Um, Me too, for sure. Five's my yeah. favorite. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I'm five, seven, eight, six, three, nine, one. Oh my gosh. Ten, two, four. <laughs> that was... Um, you know, so it's casually I, rattled I, off. <laughs> I'll, I'll say mine in a minute. I'll say mine in a minute because a couple things have changed. But I was a <laughs> naysayer about one for a really long time. I was like one's, one, but like I now no longer think that. I now think one is one of the best ones. Um, okay. And they're great. there's okay. We have to do another episode. So yeah, 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 yeah. Um, <laughs> but anyway, but we'll, we'll, let, let me think about my ranking for a second, and I'll deliver that in a minute. But just, <laughs> so Justin has somewhere he wanted to go, and but, 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 let's go but, there. I, but I'm going to tie yeah. off that that thought, which is that. Yeah. So initially, you might think if you watch the first four that three is just this outlier idiosyncratic weird and you know you might love it or hate it for that which is i think where we were at before and then you watch five and you realize five is we a lot of fans love five because it's when not only the heist theme is introduced and it becomes a heist franchise in addition to this car franchise but secondly a lot of the deeper themes of the movies that i think i find more just wonderful and beautiful themes of like chosen family of love of you know um love around this like pursuit or this sport or this whatever you know the the racing um those themes get developed and sort of the the fast family like grows over the next like five six seven eight which are i think the best entries um in the in the in the series and so once you get five, you're like, oh, the franchise is changing. It's not just a street racing film series. It's it's actually bigger. It's about these heists and these kind of global, you know, events and um, and about sort of like chosen family and loyalty. Um, and when you plug. So now we have to watch three after six. And so once you do that it's actually a return to roots because you have this straight racing movie, right? It's no longer, a, it's not a heist movie. There's, I mean, there's some Han is weirdly stealing money from the Yakuza, which feels very, very dangerous when you quote unquote have money. Um, and in fact, he has a ton of money from the Brazil heist. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, I think now we can, we can watch it not as a weird outlier, but actually as, this wonderful kind of focused return to the original theme, which is street racing, but with the Han story, which is like Han trying to integrate 
um, Boswell into the fast culture, into the fast ethos of chosen family. So I, I agree with lots of that. I, I do think the chosen family stuff is, is there right at the, in the first film though, too. I, I, I mean, not, this is, I, I say all this with not having seen six, seven, eight, nine, whatever, how many there are, but which maybe this gets even more explicit there, but I do feel like in the first film and like all those issues about, um, you know, the, the, your loyalty to your family or your, I mean, that's like the central theme is, is whether Paul Walker's character is going to be, you know, loyal to Dom or to the, the FBI, the FBI who's his, his like, alter, yeah, well, they're also kind of his like surrogate family. So there's this kind of like divided loyalty thing, but, um, uh, yeah. but yeah, I guess I just, I want to hear Matt's ranking too, because I, I kind of feel like I'm not as high, I think, as you guys on five. And I think I think in part because I, I really do appreciate, and I'm not having seen six, I, it's hard for me to say, but but like I really do appreciate the simplicity of the earlier films, that it's not so big and so, you know, so like I know roughly some of the things that happens in later films where, where th these characters are like working, you know, there's like some secret cabal of evil agents and stuff. And I, I kind of could do without any of that because it feels to me like it's treading into the space of some of territory that I really quite actually despise, namely in like the Marvel territory. And so I really do appreciate the, like the, the simplicity of the first three really. Uh, and, but I, I got to take issue with that. I got to jump in on that. It's, okay, it's yeah. not, it's not Marvel. It's not Marvel. It's mission impossible as comedy. Right. It's it's not marble. It really isn't. So but like it's so it's they're always doing something impossible. And, and, the, and the idea is that like that family is is the superpower that they have that enables them to like break the laws of physics. So the like the, the like the like magic phrase in Fast and the Furious universe is take the wheel. Right. If somebody <laughs> says take the wheel to you, they become invincible because they trust because that's what trust in family does. It makes you invincible. Right. So this is what like they do become like cartoonish action movies, but they're all Mission Impossible but, scenarios. Yeah, I should right? clarify. And, the complaint is not that they're cartoonish action movies. The complaint is this massive shared universe thing that i could okay. really i could really do with that i i really i really do want to just my my only bugaboo about this is i want movies to just be movies and not extended tv shows that's the that's the complaint yeah and you know i think they do jump the shark for this very reason eventually namely a little bit in the ninth one i mean so i'm glad i was glad to hear riggle put eight near the top i would personally go like five seven one six eight three four ten two <laughs> nine hobbs and shaw um, but, uh, so I have, I have eight. Can you say that well, one more time, Matt? What's that? Wait, wait, Matt? I want to write that down. Say yeah, it again. Say it again. Five, seven, one, six, eight, three, four, ten, two, nine, Hobbs and Shaw. <laughs> um, Nick is but, like doing like calculations. Uh, I want to right say now. a couple things about eight because I do think it's interesting that Real and I are both interested in eight because most people think eight is already jumping the shark. I think nine is the shark jumping moment. Eight is quite good, I think. Um, it looks like, yeah, we disagree on one and nine basically. Otherwise, we're in the same. Yeah, boat. yeah. One, okay. I talk a little bit about what I think just briefly, but like, so, um, um, well, let's say, so. One, what I what I like about one going back to it, it's like once you have been in this cartoon action movie world for a while, right? Where again, like you say, take the wheel, and then you could just jump into an airplane from a car or whatever, um, or you could like it, like you can skydive without a parachute, and you're just fine, right? Because you trust <laughs> your family that much. Um, so when you go back to one, it's so grounded, it's so physical. You can like. Yeah. 
um, you know, I got some, I got a pretty decent sound set up and like, you can feel the like vibrations of the car on the road in a mm. way that you can't once it becomes a CGI thing. Right. So like, I, I really appreciate that. First of all, just as, that it's like more of a, a sort of authentic traditional car movie with that kind of muscle car vibe. Um, but also like, I love that like they're all kids. When you go back to your like Vin is so skinny, right. And like, um, they're, they're, it's like you, you feel like you're, it's like I've spent so much more time with the later movies because I really didn't think I liked the first one. And then when I went back and watched it after like a couple of years, I was like, oh, it's like I get to see what, what happened to them when they were kids, you know. Um, and uh, I think it's it becomes really central to like the foundational friendship of Dom and um, Brian. So and that friendship even reverberates past uh, Brian's death, you know, past his sort of departure from the movie. He doesn't die in the in the in the uh, diegetical world, but like the actor dies and the character disappears. The, the, that friendship is still driving the whole movement of the of the of the series from the beginning. Um, so, and I think that like the the fact that that friendship barely even kicks off in that movie. It's like at the end of the movie is is like where where for the first time Brian like does something for Dom's sake against his own nature as a cop, this sort of gesture of this gesture of friendship at the end. And like the fact that that doesn't even resolve into the fourth one, really. Right. Like we don't even, that doesn't, we don't even really become to the fourth one, but like all of the, the, the roots of their friendship are sprouted in that first movie. And that's super interesting to me to go back to that. Yeah. I feel you. I mean, I, I like, I think I, I bumped I bumped three up quite quite a bit for the same reasons that you like one. I mean, kind of just the purity of it. Like it's it's just a racing show. Yeah. And you know, I, I do love it's like really nice to go back to that once you once you've seen all of the films I and mean, that just go literally, you know, to the moon almost. Um yeah, I mean, uh I got I got one, I got it pretty high. It's just not in my top three. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, I feel like nine... I had it at the bottom. I had it like, you know, like two, one and then two at the bottom for forever, uh -huh. years. Yeah. So I've I got done a major reversal on one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but nine, I love nine. I feel like nine is maybe controversial, but um, I just love the the self-aware satire aspect of it. Like I, I just nine is when they bring back Sean. They Sean's back, back in that. They, and they also just like, I hate it. I really, really hate it when a series is flagging in popularity and it like unkills a character. I, I, that's like a major pet peeve. I like, that's where, when Don, when Game of Thrones brought, uh, so if, here's the, here's the rule. If you're bringing a character back from the dead, they have to have the stain of death on them. It's, there's a pet, it's a pet cemetery rule, right? <laughs> there has to be like a major, you have to like lose your soul if you're brought back from the dead. So like whenever a show just like brings back a dead character with no consequences at all, right? Like I'll make an exception for the Vampire Diaries because they they did it better. They had a whole mythology that made it interesting. But like when G Game of Thrones did it, for example, I'm just like completely turned on it, right? Because it was mm -hmm. just like pandering to the fans. If you're bringing Jon Snow back, he's got to have the taint of death. And that's how I, I felt when I watched Nine. I'm like, you can't just like bring back all the popular dead characters just to like sell. It's like I like you know I, I felt I felt like my interest in the greater continuity, which is what Justin didn't like about it, right? That my interest in the greater continuity was spoiled by the fact that the writers had basically jumped the shark. Like, okay, now we could just bring people back because we want it to be more popular. Can I ask real quick though, does Twinkie ever come back? My, my guy Bow Wow, Lil Bow Wow, <laughs> then he becomes Bow Wow because he's not Lil anymore. Does he come back? I don't think so. Oh, that's a bummer to me. Okay. Yeah. Hey, Laura. 
Do you know how movie trailers are made? Don't movie studios make them? Actually, they're made by independent trailer agencies. So, wait, could I make movie trailers? Yeah, but first you'll have to learn how. And lucky for you, The Refinery, one of the trailer agencies that makes many of the trailers you see for major movies, has an online training program that teaches you how to do it. Cool. How does it work? The program walks you through the process of making an actual movie trailer using the same project files that the real editors use. And at every step of the process, you get feedback from real trailer editors who work at the refinery. Oh, so at the end of the program, I'll know how to make my own movie trailers? Yes. And not only that, when you submit your final trailer, they'll review it. And if they're impressed, they might invite you for an interview to work at the refinery. No way. So what's the program called? Well, it's called The Art of the Trailer, and you can find it at maketrailers.com. But if I go, will I have to pay full price for the course? Not at all. If you use the promo code COWS at checkout, you'll get 20% off for a limited time. COWS? As in cows in the field? Yes. So go to maketrailers.com and use promo code COWS for 20% off. Start learning how to be a trailer editor today. Beyond the structure, like where this film falls in this interesting Rube Goldberg structure that's been created by the Fast franchise, what other things about it aesthetically uh, do you guys find appealing? In particular, I'm interested, like, in Nick, Matt, like, what things convinced you to turn on this movie? Because, I mean, a couple things that I found kind of interesting. One thing is that the the drift sequences themselves have this very kind of uncanny, otherworldly quality where I think there really are filming a lot of drifting stuff, but at the same time, there are it's integrated with CGI in a weird way that doesn't like like it it's like what Fincher was trying to do in um in Panic Room where mm-hmm. the camera's flying around through things but that doesn't look quite good this somehow looks a little bit better but it also doesn't look real so there's this like it's balancing on a knife's edge between realism like photorealism and something that's like heightened and unreal right. it's like when they when uh, when Sean and Han are looking at the at the at the square down below and they've got like the yeah. crowds that are already kind of blurred yeah. out and it looks already like that. It's not quite right. Like it looks like it has been adjusted in some way. And then later when they drift through that same sure. crowd, it has the same effect. Every shot ha- has the potential for me mm. of being CGI or being real. And I can't quite tell. And there's something kind of cool about that. That's like, whereas now in Marvel, you're like, I know it's CGI, but it also doesn't look like CGI because it's, it's so like it's it's the technology is so so much better now. But like then I just feel like we're right on that edge where it's kind of interesting. It's like this weird curio for me as an object of the mid aughts. Anyway, I'm curious for you guys, what other like aesthetic features of the film do you find appealing? Yeah, I mean, I just say like that uncanniness. I was I was thinking about that too from a slightly different angle where um there's that scene where uh Sean and Neela are remember he's like I've never seen you drift why and he's like she's like you've never asked and then they go drifting yeah and um it's it's one of these scenes that actually I think is lovable in in the in the stroll strollian sense um <laughs> yeah because yeah. there there there's like beautiful romantic guitar music playing 
And they're having this like quiet conversation about her past and they're fucking drifting like <laughs> down a mountain. Like it, it's like total nonsense that this yeah. is, you know, even remotely possible. And uh, it just struck me as like, this is just wonderful. Like this is wonderfully weird and like uncanny almost. There's just something, it almost doesn't read as weird, but when you realize what's going on, it's just like. Well, also the, the what they're saying to each other, the lines are, you know, straight out of a soap opera. I mean, you used this, used the, yeah. the soap opera term earlier, but I mean, like, here's some of the things they say. Today I got my license. Today I got my first speeding ticket. Day after that, I won my first race. I beat this rich kid by three lengths. I gotta admit, it felt good. It felt like... Like everything else just disappears. No past, no future. I mean, these are just like <laughs> absurd lines. And these actors, yeah. no shade, but to be fair, these are not like the top tier actors. And they're really struggling to say these lines in a convincing way. So it's like, oh, yeah. it's very, it's like unintentionally quite cringy. It's and because they're like, drifting, Justin. They yes, can't, that's, they're know, high, they can't concentrate. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so the, the the CGI you're talking about, like, one thing the movie does that's really interesting to me, especially in the first, like, 15 minutes of the movie, the first 10 minutes of the movie even, um, is that it they use the, that CGI to pack so many weird little details into the frame, right? Like, one thing that always cracks me up is in the that, that initial crash when Lucas is in the drag, uh, when Lucas Black's in the drag race, um, in the, in the, 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 new, the like, where all the, Shangri -La. the Shangri-La development, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he um, rolls his car and you see like a CGI bottle of Tabasco sauce. Yes. Bouncing, yes. bouncing around. Uh, <laughs> and it's like, now that, that's how you use CGI, right? It's just like throw some Tabasco in that car. And like just the, the first, I, I feel like if you can watch the first like 10 minutes of that movie and not already love it, like we're a different species, right? Because it's like, it's so dense with cool stuff. Like the, like the, and it's like the best use ever of a Kid Rock song in a movie um, by far. Like you couldn't possibly do that better. And like, and like, then once you, like when you get to Japan and he like, he's like, the one rule is you can't drive a car. And then he like immediately goes to a car party and like right away, like there's like an incredible amount of zany detail that we get just packed in and again like you're you're like 15 minutes of this movie and you've already you've already heard like 10 amazing songs like
the, yeah, the total absurdity of of that sequence you're describing is the first scene of the movie and then the second broadly sequence of the movie where he goes to Japan, he does exactly the same thing. So you yeah. get you're you're getting a feel for and you already have know that this is the fifth time he's done that thing because yeah. he, he's on his like they, they've already had to move several times. And so there's this it, it, it's it's funny, right? It's funny yeah. to have that kind of comedic repetition of like he goes to this new place he's kind of on probation or some whatever and he just does exactly what got him there he does he makes the, yep. he crashes a car trying yeah. to race for a girl i keep thinking about that I moment was... too in between those two scenes where he's in the police when he's in the police um department and they they're all sitting the the clay the the guy from home improvement the the popular dude and the girlfriend yeah, yeah. and 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 shine and they're all sitting there like waiting to like get their talking to and the girl the girl looks over at sean and he gives her the smile that yeah. he thinks uh-huh. is like sexy it is like he's got like blood in his teeth and he just looks like yeah. repulsive like and goofy and i was just like this is like the, he's not paul walker no and this movie knows yeah. he's not paul walker and that's what we're gonna watch and really like, get on board because like this guy yeah. is bad sometimes at what he does and like he thinks he's cooler than he is and like that's kind of the fun of this movie because you that's know we so everybody else is you know the rest of this the the joy of fast and the furious is absolutely that everybody's so hot and capable and good at things and and it's kind of fun to watch Sean Boswell kind of fuck it up a lot. <laughs> yeah, just, just a goofball. Yeah, yeah. I, I was, I was, um, I was really impressed by the opening scene. I think maybe even more than I've been before um, this time around because I feel like one of the things. So you might read the like repeated mistake as, um, kind of goofy or, or funny, and I think it is definitely supposed to be kind of funny. But um, there's also a way in which it's trying to establish like universal themes. Because I think that opening that opening scene, um, there's a really super clear definition of like two kinds of masculinities, right? There's the, there's the, what is the name? Brandon Ty something or Zachary. Home- oh, no. Zachary Ty. You're thinking of the Clay Taylor? character? Oh, no, no. Yeah, I, I just well, keep um, calling him the guy from Home Improvement. I'm so well, sorry. We all know Zachary. who it is. It's yeah, definitely anyway, Zachary. Guy, um, so like, he's the, you know, there's a super clear contrast. Like he's rich, he's privileged. He's the alpha male. He's um, he's popular. He's uh, ultimately kind of self-destructive and and sort of like underhanded. And then Sean Boswell, he's like, he's poor, right? He's scrappy. He's resourceful. He's the lone outsider. Um, he's super self-possessed. And um, you have these kind of like, you know, masculinity kind of, I think, plays with all of those character traits in ways that can go super toxic, like the home improvement guy way. Or Zachary like Ty, Brian. Very, Brian. Yep. very kind of fast and furious, which is, you know, this kind of like loyal, self-possessed, like these character traits that are actually really, you know, in some ways really good and worth promoting. Mm-hmm. And they immediately set up this like, it's a battle, right? And uh, It's uh, a battle what for want- the girl. The winner it's a battle for the girl. It's, it's like me. the symbol of winning masculinity is like yeah. you get you get the girl. <laughs> um, and uh, I think it's really fun that uh, one of the things I really laughed at this time was that uh, you know to do to do the race they go to the Shangri La, which is obviously like a class based mm-hmm. location, right? It's like they're developing all these kind of McMansions. Yep. Um, and if anything's you know, what's more McMansion than a Dodge Viper, right? Of course, the the Fast and Furious series is going to make fun of that car. Um, and so, but to win the race, 
he drives through one, mm. right? Clearly, completely <laughs> destroying it. Right? Yeah. Um, and I just thought that was pretty rad. And, um, yeah. <laughs> well, and like, so I, I joked earlier that it's basically the Karate Kid 2, but like more seriously, um, it, it does like, it does follow a very traditional arc for a martial arts movie, which is that you have this guy who's totally doofy and incompetent. And I think like, like this wasn't my sort of like Riggle and I eventually made it to this conversation when we were, I was trying to sort of defend the Lucas black. Right. Yeah, which I forgot is, about like, this. Yeah. That, so like, um, like it's it's like the the whole one of the primary arcs that you'll find in a martial arts movie is somebody going from being doofy and incompetent to like a you know a master um and um or at least to somebody who is like worthy of his of the person who trained him to like worthy to represent them right so like this is a movie and like it's very important that we start out with him being just a total doofus and like the thing is that the key scene of the movie i think where we learn that that he really has learned from han not just how to drive but like how to how how to how to hold himself with honor or whatever right how to like how to um to be a member of the the relevant tribe is the scene where he um he goes to see the yakuza uncle played by sonny chiba right so that he's in this conflict with this 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 you know other young person whose uncle is yakuza and um he goes in and it's like everybody's telling him you can't just walk in and talk to this yakuza you're gonna get killed but he walks in you know he holds his head up he talks to him respectfully and he resolves the situation he like comes to an agreement with him and i think the key what well, we're supposed to get there and i think that's the, the key scene we're supposed to get there is like this is what he's learned from han right mm -hmm. he's learned from han how to be somebody how to go from somebody who would like you know, it was going to crash his car into a McMansion. Somebody who can like walk into a Yakuza den with his head held high and like know how to act. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I forgot your martial arts take. I really, I really do like that. I yeah. It's like the driving is the martial arts. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like he learns the, he learns the driving techniques from Han, but he's mm -hmm. also learning virtue from Han. I like at the that. same time. Just, yeah. Wait, yeah. side sidebar. Yeah. Matt, did you notice that um, Jason Tobin is in, is in Fast 3? The, the main guy from, oh, yeah. uh, from Warrior? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's also in Better Luck Tomorrow. Yeah, right? I know, but I, I just yeah, never, yeah. I never right. sort of yeah, yeah, yeah. Young him. June. Yeah, yeah. Young like one, he has like one line, but <laughs> right. Yeah, no, he's in there. He's in there. I really, um, I really like this, uh, this take, Matt. I was, um, I do want to, uh, maybe I come and push back slightly though on it because I was thinking that it, I like it because it gives a, an arc to his character, uh, because I, it, the character is otherwise somewhat one dimensional. Um, but I was sort of. When I watch the movie, and I've only seen it twice, but when I watch the movie, Lucas Black feels like he's brash at the beginning, and um, but but he's confident too, and but he also, um, you know, okay, actually, I will. I was gonna say, uh, actually, now I, I actually realize there's one other thing here, actually, where there is an arc, but I actually think maybe it's slightly different from what you said. Sorry, I just remembered something. So, yeah. okay, so he. I feel like he has a confidence in the beginning that he has at the end too. It's kind of the same. Like he's able to stand up to the bully at the beginning and at the end in the way that the Yakuza guy's kind of the bully with confidence. But actually there is something that's different. Now, as soon as I started talking, I realized at the beginning in the credit sequence, you see a slow-mo thing of Sean watching a kid get bullied, right? They're like rubbing like paint on him or something. And he just kind of turns around, he turns away, he doesn't bother with it. But then later in the movie, you he interferes to protect uh, Bow Wow's character. Like he right. he actually he actually interferes, and and he does he does seem like 
in the first bit, he seems like he's an out, he's a total outsider to everyone. Like he's not part of this community at all. But by the time he's, he's sort of integrated himself into that community with Han and the other characters, he does have loyalty to them and he wants to protect them. And that's what in some ways, I mean, it's not quite what he's doing with the Yakuza boss, but it is what he's doing throughout with Han and everything, trying to like, um, you know, I don't know, I guess settle the score honorably, protect Bow Wow and all that. And so I do actually think maybe there is an arc, but it's it's like he's, he's it's a moral arc, right? He's like becoming a yeah. better human being. Um, yeah, they, they um, I, I, I noted that too, Justin. They flag his moral indifference actually in, in another scene too. It's in that sequence where uh, the home improvement guy is is like hitting a pinata that is of a like indigenous person or like a there's maybe like a, a war bonnet or something um and he kind of looks at it and he's like he disagrees you can see it in his face but then he kind of turns away and then maybe the very next scene there's like the bullying and he kind of looks at it and he's like he kind of disagrees but he doesn't do anything about right. it and i i think they're yeah they're trying to establish that kind of like he's a, he's a little bit right. it, but he's a, he, he lacks virtue right he's gonna learn he's gonna learn both how to drive um, and how and and he's going to learn virtue and maturity and honor and respect from yeah. Han. Yeah, um, and that's yeah. what makes him. And it's like he—that's what and that and like notice the final race he enters into with Dom at the end of the movie, right? Like, it's a totally different tone to it. He's no longer the like swaggering yeah. cocksure douchebag. Yeah, he's like he's racing out. Of, he's he, he's racing with respect for his opponent. Yeah. at the end. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, compare that race to the to the first race he does in that very garage where he's like, I can do this. This is I, 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 <laughs> right, I I've raced before. Give I me a do... thirty second lesson. Yeah. The best. Um, and he's yeah. humbled, and 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 then you know maybe maybe he will humble Dom. Probably not because Dom is going to take the wheel and then fly or or whatever he does. <laughs> yeah, I mean it, it does establish that theme of kind of like virtue is inseparable from racing like the fast virtues are like somehow essentially race race <laughs> racing virtues that translate into like trust and character um which i think is a is a is is cool like because yeah i mean i think that's one of the things that i'm attracted to about the series in general because that's a theme that just gets completely like you you guys really do have to watch Six, seven, eight. Um, uh, maybe you can. Someday. Maybe you can stop at, at eight yeah. after eight. But um, we'll watch them. I, all. I, I, I would there's not. A, there's another martial arts parallel here, right? Which is that, like the, the yeah. virtuous, the virtuous martial artists do defeat the evil ones, right? Yeah. Ultimately, and and exactly. it's in part because the virtuous techniques are more powerful, right? Mm. Um, yeah. 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 Exactly. And and I, I I sort of identify with that from like my skating career, where you know there there is this kind of deep bond between skaters and and the sort of the loyalty and love and sort of moral character of that intimacy, you just can't separate it from the activity. It's about being bonded through that activity. And there's something kind of essential to it. And I think the Fast series develops that really well. But I, I now see Fast 3 as kind of concentrating that in a really beautiful way. If anything, Absolutely. actually, yeah, the, you could think of, too, I'm just thinking about the arcs as well. Um, the The character of DK he he's kind of stas he's he's in a stasis with respect to being that kind of cocksure 
uh, guy. He never, he never, he's not challenged in a way which requires him to improve himself, to be humbled, to develop any virtue. And you see this at the beginning when he's like, I'm going to destroy this guy. And at the end, he says the same thing. I've already beat him once, so it'll be easy. Like he scoffs at the, at the challenge that's been put before him, even though he yeah. knows this guy, Sean, has beat his, his second in command, his lieutenant. Uh, Morimoto and is clearly a much better driver than he was but he's like he's not able to like appreciate that this guy has actually shown improvement so um there's that kind of like what if, what is that like the downfall of hubris right like he's his hubris yeah. is like part of what leads to his uh his defeat yeah or like you know you can't just race to win you know it's kind of that like it's established in that opening scene and um and sort of developed through that through the other character through DK yeah. There's another, I mean, I, I just another thing that you guys have mentioned about the whole franchise as a whole, which I can't totally speak on, but I, with respect to this movie, the idea of chosen family and finding a family in, uh, in a kind of adoptive family, at least, um, it, I think it's, it's like a striking feature of this film in particular, in particular, because the character of Han, the character of, uh, what's her name? Neela. Neela. And also Sean, they're all immigrants to the country mm -hmm. and they're all trying to find like they don't have in some ways family members i mean sean has his father but he's in a very complicated relationship with his father and neela's mother's dead and han we don't know where his family is he's 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 left wherever they're you know i guess he's come from korea or wherever the states wherever he was um and you know that that th that idea of like finding a, a community and that's creating a bond that's stronger than the blood bonds that you might share i think is it's actually quite powerful and i think like that that you know I, I it is something that really resonated with me we haven't really it's been a while since we've seen the the first one so i i can't remember all the details but it did feel like they were what what i liked about this one was that it was taking themes that were present in the first one and sort of remixing them in a in a new way but the, the themes were still present and I sort of appreciated that. And that's why I said at the top, I, I, I like the idea of a possible future where Fast 4 is like taking those same themes and remixing them in a different way um, with a totally different set of characters. Uh, and I think that would, mm. it would have been a cool, I don't know, it would have been kind of cool to see the franchise proceed in that direction. Yeah. I do, I do think it gets back to it in interesting ways. It doesn't, doesn't do the same thing over and over again, but like that's part of why I like eight. Um, is that so I'll try to say this without giving too much away. Um, but like in eight, where the main conflict, one of the main conflicts is that like Jason Statham character has killed a member of Dom's family. Um, and yet they're they're sort of they're, they reconcile like J Jason Statham character and Dom reconcile in the movie. And a lot of fans bailed on it because they said, no, Code of Family says he's enemy for life. But but what happens is there's this wonderful line that for me is like one of the key lines of the whole series, which is where Dom says, you shouldn't have come for a man's family. And Jason Statham says, you shouldn't have come for mine. Right. And what what was recognized is that they have like they have the same values, but different families. Right. Like the Jason Statham character has his own family with the same level of loyalty and commitment. And they like they're able to develop mutual respect through that recognition. So while, while not being a part of the same family, they're able to respect that everything each 
each one has done to the other one is coming from the same code of values. So they're able to reconcile through that mutual recognition, which to me is beautiful, actually. <laughs> right. That like that, like that, that again, like that, that the first time that Dom breaks the code of family is out of recognition that this is actually a way of respecting the code of family. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think, I think the thing that gets developed more is not just the sort of the, the, the theme of family and loyalty and love, but specifically of chosen family. Cause like early on, you get the sense that Dom's posse is kind of cliquish or kind of really like, it's like about like blood ties. Um, and I think it's over the first five that they actually develop more of that theme of like chosenness. Um, and then to where they can say in eight that like, no, Statham's character can, um, you know, can be, can, can be chosen too. Um, I mean, the other like precedent for some of this is, um, and I, I was, for some reason I was thinking about this is Peter Pan. Now it, it changes it in a slightly hmm. different way, but it was partly because I was thinking about how, uh, Han, his like pleasure palace, whatever it is he's got really does feel to me like Neverland or never, Neverland. you know, like it's this yeah. place where a lot of kids, because these are high school kids, a number of them are hanging out, doing adultish things, you know, and like, mm -hmm. and they're, you know, and it's, it, they're all like running from something, right? From broken families, whatever, um, you know, they're, they're, the country they were born in, whatever it is. And and they're in this sort of fantasy world. And it really is a fantasy world. I mean, it's portrayed as such. It's like, if you were 18, this would, and you were into cars, like, you pretty much had everything at Han's joint. You've got music. If you're a heterosexual guy, you've got girls. you got models that you got sleep models, in the little pods. And you got those pod things. <laughs> and you got cars. <laughs> and it's like a garage. And I was like, thinking about, you know, it, 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 I had the other thing I was thinking about, this is just because this is a movie I grew up with, is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, right? Like the Foot Clan oh, is yeah. like that kind of thing where you, you they like, they, they seduce. Now, of course, that's evil, right? That's Shredder like seducing these youths. But I got the same vibes of like the kids go to these places where it's like video games all the time. Right. <laughs> and, but then they're like forced to do evil things. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I think there is a, a, there's like throughout the whole franchise, there's just this sheer love of toys. You know, whether those are like weird tech gadgets or nuclear bombs or like, you know, I mean, Hans RX-7 is super dope. You know, and there's just this sheer love of like, we're just watching cool cars. Um, yeah. And it's like you you see this with, you know, your your our kids, like when they're when they're just like they just like my my one year old just like wants to carry this little race car around and like <laughs> right, you know, drive it on. It's just like this sheer, pure, natural joy of for some reason little little techie things and, and toys and gadgets i've never wanted to drive a car fast in my life my, my wife's the slowest driver i know and she's like car party when it just you know, and like although i don't like approve of um the, i don't approve of crime it does make me happy that like it's a genuinely a problem in la that people emulate these movies right like it's, it's like it's, that does make that does make the world aesthetically a better place, even if it's morally worse. Yes, <laughs> the, the movie has had a huge impact on 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 the car market. Yeah, totally. You know, the you know the, the the fast one was based on a on a really kind of viral magazine article about um, I forget what it's called, race racer X or something about um, about about street racing like illegal street racing in in la and 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 new york and stuff so there's a thing in the 90s and the 90s were full of these like extreme kind of 
you know, underground extreme sports. Um, I think this this whole thing came out of came out of that. Nick, we're about the same age. Matt, you're a bit older, but I mean, when the first movie came out, I remember probably two, three weeks after that, there were people like it was then suddenly a thing where I was living where people would then drive like get their cars together <laughs> in parking lots to like I don't know, show off. like, the, And it seemed like before the movie, uh, this was not happening. And then after and then the movie... everybody was having car parties? Well, it was also because it came out around the time <laughs> I think I was 16. So it was just like the perfect timing for me to suddenly be aware of who's driving what car. But it did feel like it was around that time that... that and then I think they were doing some street racing. Did you I, ever I, bring I, your Solara to a car party? No. But someone Damn. I know at one of... So I, was, I went to one... I mean, we would... You know, I would be driving around and we'd see them. We'd be like, okay, let's follow this parade of cars. And 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 we one time there was someone who had a DeLorean. That was pretty cool. What? Yeah. Whoa. So yeah, I mean, I feel like especially when you grow up in California, like car culture, like you're just like taught to pay attention to cars. And you know, I feel and then you come of age and you get your license at 16, which is like now as a dad, I'm like, what? Um <laughs> so young um but uh but yeah you you start to immediately be like oh i guess do i want like a honda civic and do i want a cool muffler or like should i try to go fast like everyone seems to be interested in going fast um i do like going fast i i bought a i bought an old porsche when i was a teenager nice. <laughs> really oh you're cool yeah, yeah was... no i had a also had a solara way too uncoordinated <laughs> Matt, I think I think for Matt, it's it's vicarious living through the Fast and the Furious franchise. And if you're I right, mean, yeah, yeah, like I, yeah, I'd, I'd like to stay safe over here, but I definitely like to watch y'all be dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> One of my best memories uh, uh, from when I was that age, my dad, who was a real character, he uh, he bought a Camaro, like a new Camaro, like a, at the time it was a brand new Camaro, like on a whim one day, like a V8, big muscle car, and one day. We were like sitting around the house drinking beers and he was like, you want to grab a sixer and take the Camaro on the back roads? And we like we like smoked a joint. I'm like 17. <laughs> we like smoked a joint and like I'm like I'm like very drunk, frankly. And he's like letting me drive this Camaro in the back roads. And he's like, let her out. What are you doing? Like step on it. And uh, that was probably the one time I drove a car like that real fast. And I did live through oh. it. Um, but uh, when I think back on my dad, it's a great memory. That is that is really cool. I mean, that's why you like Tokyo Drift. That's yeah. gonna say that's also uh, yeah. why in his memory. Yeah. Tokyo Drift. It makes so much sense. Oh, that's really cool, man. I, I do, <laughs> yeah, I do think that there is a kind of special bond that, like, we can you can have. It's a it's a guy thing. I'm sorry, Laura. I mean, apologies to to ne What is her name? Neela. Neela. Neela's likes to race too, but I yeah, mean, it's always, mostly guys. Listen, I will say this for the franchise too. They always have their lady motorheads too. That's true. Yeah, yeah. they do. Um. <laughs> all right, so I think we should begin to put our final touches on this conversation. And one thing, I mean, we've already got your guys' rankings of the Fast franchise. Um, one thing I would be curious to know, though, um, is, like, where, if somebody liked this movie in particular and the Fast franchise and, you know, other car movies, other things, I know, you know, you, I'm sure Matt has a lot of recommendations in this regard. I'll, I'll let you look some stuff up. Nick, I mean, I'm curious, like, do you, are there other sort of car culture movies that, or 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 I'll I'll put it this way, 
movies that embody some of the themes of like bonding or you know in that kind of shared space between rivals um like you talked about your your skating career and all that like are there other movies that that kind of capture that vibe because i think it is a, a like I've, i'm thinking in particular i mean one thing that comes to mind for me when you said that is 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 fighting and like fighting mm. movies like boxing movies which have that kind mm. of there's a special camaraderie that is formed often by two people who have to fight each other in a ring um, but I'm curious yeah. if there are other films that either capture that or motor movies that you guys like. That's a good question. I, I, I'd have to think about it more. But off the top of my head, the first thing that comes to mind is Top Gun. Mm. Um, yes. And I mean, that's I love I love Top Gun. Both both the films, I, I think, kind of like sit in my psyche. I grew up with Top Gun. Um, and I love I love the second one, too. Um, but yeah, I don't have to think about it. I do think Top Gun also plays with like masculinity in interesting ways and sort of like explores it really quite deeply um from from a different obviously a different angle but um but yeah i don't know i'll have to think about it i, I have to say it, the, my thoughts went more to i think the next time i'm on the show i have to find another film that combines american and japanese themes i know, I know. I, and yakuza <laughs> yakuza in you particular a, a, yeah, with the white fedora the two movies the, the ramen spaghetti western yeah and then this and the yakuza i gotta i gotta think about what's next i got a soft spot i don't know if anybody else does for gone in 60 seconds which came out one year before the fast and the furious oh. are you talking about the, the remake or the original the, you have the remake the remake i am talking okay. about the remake well, yeah, um, like the movie i was going to talk about was the original okay fair oh, enough. let's hear it yeah That's all right classy. Let's, i mean well like i I, lo I love car movies and i love them for a lot of different reasons there's definitely a few that i want to recommend that are a little bit um that maybe you wouldn't have seen yeah um but like one that i really really love as the most probably like as a car movie just like motors and engines and metal it's got to be the original bond 60 seconds because the guy who made that movie it, he it was like he owned he had like a like the, like the largest collection in the world of cars he had like, this guy owned all these cars like hundreds of cars and he crashed his own cars wow to make this movie and i think hmm. he crashed i forget the number but i feel like he crashed 85 cars something like that like of his own cars to make this movie um and it's like the the difference between the practical effects right and in these cases it's not even it's like he's just crashing cars it's not even effects it's stunts right but so between the sort of practical approach and then what you see today when you watch a car movie and it's just cgi cars zooming around the difference is is night and day and you yeah. really feel that physicality of everything you're watching and then the other side of the spectrum my other favorite quake car movie is the most artificial one which is speed racer mm. right um, which which that movie like no movie that's ever been made i really believe this out of every movie that i've ever seen in my life and it's a lot of movies i don't think any movie maintains a pure sense a pure sense of exhilaration as well or as long as that movie does there's like a 45 minute stretch of that movie that is just pure exhilaration i just i'm like just energized by every second of it um i think it's just really magical the way that that it's like that it's also i think the best cgi movie ever made it's mm. like the way that the that cgi is used in that movie it, it's like it's this alternative grammar that just didn't get adopted it's like this is what cgi could have been if if we if like imagination had triumphed over convenience right if we used it if instead of using cgi to try to emulate film cheaply if we used it to create new possibilities this is what movies might have been yeah right um 
So those are the two, though, that I think stand out the highest. I wish that the audience could see my head nodding so extremely in response to Matt. I just, I cannot agree (laughs) more, Matt. That is perfectly put. You know what I realized? Actually, when I, after I asked this question, I realized I actually have a different question that I want to end on. This is an impossibly difficult question, okay? Mm. So I I want you guys to to feel free to tap out if you don't want to answer it, but This is a deeply philosophical question. So the question is this. Laura, you don't have to answer. I'll take a pass. Matt and Nick. So Nick, (laughs) you changed your mind on this movie. You went from thinking it sucks to thinking it's pretty good or or perhaps even great. What do you think, like, what do you, how would you describe that change of mind? So, you know, like, do you think like you went from believing something, like, do you think what you previously believed was false? Or do you feel like something affective changed about your you know, about your, um, that's like your emotional experience when you watch the movie? Do you feel like now when you see the movie, you're seeing it in a totally different way? Or is it just that you um, now cognitively think, oh, this movie's just good? Like, I, you know, this is it's a tough question, but I want to, I'm just curious if you guys have thoughts on this. This will, will, we can end with this very tough philosophical question. Yeah, so, um, I mean, the short answer is, uh, I was pretty sure it didn't have aesthetic value. And now I'm very sure that it does. And I think that's due in part to the aesthetic community between me and Matt. Um, and it's due in part to the fact that the filmmakers changed the artwork. I think that's probably, I would have to think that through a little bit more, but I'm pretty sure that's the line I would want to take, which is that by placing this film in the series um, deliberately after the sixth entry, by writing (laughs) four, five, six, seven, eight, like in a certain way, um, they actually change the work. So they they make us see it differently and and appreciate certain things um, um, differently. So... Yeah, I mean, I would say it's, it's, it became, I mean, it's hard to say it, like it became aesthetically good. I mean, yeah, somehow one in the same series of images of moving images, like once lacked aesthetic value. And now this is, yeah, this is great. I'll, I'll, I'm going to paraphrase it back to you. And then Matt, I'm curious what you think. So, um, so Nick's thought is prior to the five six whatever it was with four five six being made you you would have thought i had the right view about fast three it sucked yeah post four five six being made now the right view is fast three it rules because the art has changed because it's something like that i mean yeah the the analogy is one that matt actually gave me uh, a while back which is when you listen to gangster rap, a lot of times you'll hear early songs that are in some ways extremely offensive. Um, they're talking about womanizing and murder and, you know, all kinds of, all kinds of things, but you have to hear those early songs in the story arc of redemption or, you know, there's other ways of doing it, but often it's, it's a kind of redemption. And, and the final tracks are about, you know, I realized my ways were bad and you know i i i I want to be redeemed or i you know um i'm a new person now there are these like kind of transformative 
moments in the narrative arc of of, of gangster rap albums and uh, not not all of them obviously but but matt you know matt convinced me of this and um and that actually should change how you listen to those early tracks i mean we tend to really like be reductive about about albums uh and just hear a track kind of individualistically but in fact like a lot of times you should hear them kind of as part of a of, of a story arc or something like that part of a narrative and uh yeah i think that's i think that's what we should do with uh with with um tokyo drift it's just that when you first watch the film the future didn't exist so right. it's like the only right. you know like it its aesthetic value didn't exist um yeah it's not so it's not now there's the album but um, yeah yeah Matt, what do you what do you think uh, happened with Nick? I mean, how would you describe his change of mind? Well, I mean, I mean, so I, of course, I'm not going to dispute his phenomenology, but but like the you know, Nick and I have are, have a similar philosophical perspective in the sense that we both think that aesthetic values come from valuing, right? So we don't like neither of us thinks that the values are just kind of out there in the world, these platonic ideals that are that we have to become receptacles in order to discover them. Right. Um, and so I, the way I think of it, like I'm a kind of voluntarist where, where I think that, like, um, you know, what we get out of a work of art has a lot to do with what we put into it. Um, and like the a lot of the time when you're not appreciating a work of art, like in your mind, the way that you the way that that you experience it is like I'm just receiving it and I'm just not getting any value from it. Right. Um, but my question is, well, how are you trying? Right. Um, because it's like something you do. Right. Like getting value out of a work of art is something you do. So I think that like, you know, this is a big part of my philosophical project in the philosophy of art. Right. Is the is the idea that like um, when we don't find value in an artwork, um, that there should be a pretty high bar for us to feel confident about that. Um, we, we should not um, infer very much at all from our own responses because there are so many alternative ways of engaging with the work of art. There's so many different questions you can ask. There's so many different things you can look at, ways you can look at them that like, um, I feel like it's often not worth trying. It's often not worth, you know, like, okay, I got to try 10 different ways of engaging with this movie. It's often not worth it, but then we also shouldn't feel confident about its value mm -hmm. because we haven't really explored it. We haven't really tried to find it. So I think that that, like Riggle started asking different questions about the movie, right? And he started he started thinking about the movie in a different way and looking at it with a more sympathetic eye and so on. And I think that like that that that's that's how you get to the value is by successfully valuing it. Excellent. Yeah, well, I have yeah. I have to say to qualify that my thing slightly, it's just that you know if 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 the album was never completed, I do think Matt opened my mind to things mm. worthy of valuing in the film. Um, if I were trying to make like an all things considered kind of judgment, I think I would still land on not my favorite um, or not the best even. Uh, but uh, but yeah, but then, of course, then there's all the stuff about like the album being completed. Yeah. So Matt's pointing out something which Nick agrees you agree with, which is that the the va the value of the art comes from the engagement that we do with it and with each other with respect to it. Um, and then Nick was you know, you're pointing out that the the art itself changed when later additions to the franchise recontextualized it. So that context is part of it and needs to be taken into consideration when we're evaluating it. And both insightful things for the audience to take away. Um, so thank you very much, guys, for being here. Uh, okay, so let's now go through and promote ourselves on social media and so on. So uh, tell us, I'll start with Nick, uh, tell us where we can find you on Twitter and 
you know, your what you know what books people might want to read by you because I know both of you guys have have written books that that uh, a general audience might be excited about. So tell us about some of these things so people can find them. Yeah, yeah. So I uh, I, I opted out of Twitter. I don't know a little while ago. Um, couldn't hang. Couldn't hang with Musk. <laughs> uh, but uh, but I'm on Instagram. Heck, check me out, Nick Riggle at Nick Riggle. Um, and then, yeah, a couple of books. Um, this Beauty is my latest one. Um, and it's about how valuing beauty can uh, give you kind of answers to, like, questions about why you should value your life uh, under these circumstances where you didn't choose to live it. And it's actually full of all kinds of pain and challenge and difficulty. Um, uh, and the answer is by talking about Tokyo Drift with your friends <laughs> and philosophers. <laughs> Uh, and, and then, um, and then, uh, my first book, which is, I think, you know, people report being pretty fun on being awesome, unified theory of how not to suck from 2017. Um, and, uh, otherwise, you know, check me out on my website, nickriggle.com. Excellent. Thanks, Nick. Thank you very much for being here. People should definitely read on, I've only read on being awesome. I haven't read the new one. So on being awesome is unsurprisingly awesome. Um, Matt, tell, <laughs> Thanks, tell us about, I'm so you have a couple things in the hopper. I don't know how much you want to talk yeah, about. Yeah, I got those, all kinds of stuff yeah, going on. So, well, first of all, let me say I am still on Twitter. You can find me. I'm Strolltopia, S-T-R-O-H-L-Topia, T-O-P-I-A. Um, and that's also my website, which I don't update very much anymore, but sometimes. Um, I'm still on Twitter. And let me tell you what you missed today was you missed Joyce Carol Oates fighting with Rebecca Solnit about like whether or not we should be murdering feral cats because because like feral cats too many kill too many birds and rebecca solnit was like on the side of the birds and and joyce carol oates just went owned her all over it was like the nobel prize for twitter owned it she goes to joyce carol oates today so that's uh, what you okay. missed that's why i'm not leaving that website is where else can you see joyce carol oates own rebecca solnit um but it's <laughs> hard to do yeah um Anyways, um, but uh, I have a book um, that's already out, Why It's Okay to Love Bad Movies. That's I did an episode on uh, Twilight. We talked about that. Um, and then I've got a book coming out, hopefully August, called Hard to Watch, um, How to Fall in Love with Difficult Movies, which is about difficult movies. And then another one further down the pipeline that I'm going to keep a secret for now. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, you can also find me under my name, uh, Matt Stroll, S-T-R-O-H-L on Letterboxd. Also, you everyone has to read Why It's Okay to Love Bad Movies. It's a brilliant, wonderful, absolutely just great book. Thank yeah, you. Super fun. And check out... You should also read This Beauty, which I which I uh, really enjoyed <laughs> and just reviewed recently. My review's not out yet, but I, I, wrote a, I wrote a glowing review of it for the Journal of Aesthetics and Art Criticism. Thanks, Matt. Amazing. You guys are getting drops all over the place. Uh, thank you very much, guys, for being here. Check out Matt's book, um, uh, Why It's Okay to Like Bad Movies. Also... Um, if you want to hear more Matt and Nick, we did Twilight with Matt, we did The Box with Matt, and we did Tampopo with Nick. So uh, check those out. We are at Cow's Pod on Twitter. You can find us on the web at cowspod.com. In two weeks, we will be talking to Veronica Fitzpatrick of Brightwell Dark Room about Anatomy of a Fall. So we'll see you then. Bye. Bye.